And now, a listener request from Christopher Nelson, as read by John Longino. My brother is an idiot. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you already know this. He's yammered on several times about the day our family finally got HBO when he was like nine and how it was life-changing and blah, blah, blah. But his memories of HBO, like so many of his other memories on this podcast, are false. Because getting HBO didn't change our lives. It didn't expand our horizons. It didn't make us men. That change would occur one blessed day several years later when my father, like a young squire pulling an enchanted sword from its stone prison, would pluck a particular piece of mail from our mailbox which contained a curious proposition. HBO's parent company was offering a bundle with a second premium channel for practically the same price as HBO alone, in an offer too good to refuse. And that channel? Cinemax. Cinemax changed my life. Cinemax expanded my horizons. Cinemax made me a man. And this was for one reason. Titties. Past 9 p.m., Cinemax was a venerable den of lust and depravity designed solely in the imagination of 12-year-old boys. However, my mom soon caught on to that and basically monitored it. But it didn't really matter because even during the daytime, Cinemax delivered. The most innocuous of Cinemax's offerings could be depended upon to come through with all the best that cinema and its questionable PG to PG-13 rating system had to offer. Horrific violence, cusses that shame the devil, and of course, titties. Beautiful, beautiful titties. And I remember one film on Cinemax had all that stuff. It had been on HBO years before, and I was too young to care, but now I cared. And because there was an R-rated version and a PG version, and because Cinemax was run by what I can only assume were like-minded horndog 12-year-old boys, no one seemed to notice that the R-rated version was playing during Cinemax's daytime summer schedule all the time. As it also turned out, the movie had a plot about King Arthur and Merlin and Lancelot and the Knights of the Round Table. I don't really remember it too well, to be honest. I remember that it was visually stunning, so much so that it also allowed me to ignore some of the weird things. Like, why was Morgana so weirdly sexualized with Merlin? And like, why did the Knights of the Round Table wear their armor all the time? Like, even when they were eating? Wouldn't that get heavy? Anyway, I guess it had some influence on me because over the course of my teenage years and through college, I would end up reading a large collection of the stories that comprised of the Matter of Britain, including Sir Thomas Mallory's La Morte de Arthur, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, a good chunk of the Vulgate Cycle, and of course, T.H. White's classic, The Once and Future King. I even wrote a thesis about it in college, and all of it stemmed from that one glorious weird film with all its violence, chivalry, and yes, titties. That film was John Borman's Excalibur. Welcome, lords and ladies, to The Hold Up. Each turn of the moon, we pick a movie that one of us hath not seen in years. We watch it, and forsooth decide, doth it hold up? I'm John Nelson. And I'm John Longineau. Welcome, my lords and ladies. Welcome to The Hold Up. But before we get started, you can write us at holduppodcast at gmail.com, as our friend Bob did. Yes, uh, the email from Bob, and it is titled, A Plea for Colin's Favorite Movie. I'm betting this is Colin Legault, our self-proclaimed number one fan. Colin pointed me to your podcast some months ago. I enjoy both the production aspects and the personal reflection the format prompts. I'm also the individual that prompted Colin's crude, profanity-laced email a couple of months ago. Yes, I, <laughs> that was one of my favorites. I love that. That was great. Oh, I do shit. believe you could become the Siskel and Ebert of today. Who replaces whom in that scenario? Would love to hear a discussion between your wives about that. Both of us are Siskel. I'm Roper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd both be. I'd be Siskel. You'd be yeah. Roper, and there would be just, just a poor substitute for a man. And uh, yeah, one of our wives would, or our wives would both be Ebert. One thing I've noted. 
that the exact meaning of holds up is really flaccid. What? Quite possible. <laughs> what? How Quite. dare you, sir? How flaccid. dare you accuse I, us? I, I don't think. I know he just brought our wives up a minute ago, but I don't think that's quite what he's getting at. Quite possibly, you could view the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Include Colin as a Skype guest and determine if it holds up to all the hype Colin and other fans like myself have pelted you. Plus, you can see the performance that sealed John Lithgow's role in Third Rock. Thanks for your consideration, Bob. <laughs> That's like saying, hey, man, you can see what cemented Orson Welles' reputation by watching the animated Transformers movie. <laughs> I mean, I love I, John I, Lithgow, uh, man. I have never seen The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. This is, yeah, this is what has prevented us from watching it. Is We haven't had yet someone on the show to be the champion, and maybe that's Certainly. the solution is we have Colin come on and, and stand in the corner of uh, Buckaroo Banzai, but uh, certain something to consider i will say mr nelson i have a little idea about what we might be doing next month but we'll get to that uh, after we watch tonight's movie Ooh. so we may have to put bucker Banzai on hold for the time being but definitely something to consider and i don't think bob is the first person to ever bring that movie up but that is for another night thank you bob for your email everybody else you can write us at the email or you can go to holdapodcast.com and link to our social medias and contact us that way enough of all this talk of buckaroo bonsai let's move on to tonight's movie excalibur i don't remember a fucking thing about this film so it's good <laughs> that my brother requested it so thank you christopher nelson dear brother whom i adore for picking uh this month's movie a listener request from years back now yeah We've christopher nelson seems to remember quite a great deal about the movie in fact it sounds highly influential to his life uh, you wouldn't believe it. I or mean, his he, erections. I don't I, know. I you know, guess. one of those. Uh, he's even <laughs> written a novel about Excalibur. Holy shit! Obviously, it's uh, it, it affected him somewhere. But uh, yeah, he's uh, well. My brother is uh, many things. He's very smart, and uh, he's got a memory like a steel trap, which is good because he's a lawyer, so that he has to remember all that uh, legalese bullshit. But for some reason, what he does is he does what a lot of us geeks do. He remembers, you know, the legalese bullshit that he has to do for his job, and a lot of geeky bullshit that will never help him in life so hence excalibur i think we all have that affliction i mean i can't count how many times my wife has been pissed off at me i don't remember you know a friend of the family's name but you can talk <laughs> about some movie from 1983 and i'm like well you see that start this person and this person here's the entire plot and uh, oh pat oswald has a beautiful bit about that where he talks about like oh i remember commercials from my youth and then he sings them you know <laughs> word perfect and then he says i took two infant safety classes and i can't remember if i'm supposed to press down on her chest <laughs> she's gonna be dying and i'm gonna be reciting you know a, uh, a rutger hauer speech from blade runner so anyway here we are excalibur a listener request i don't know what you remember or how long it's been since you've seen it do you remember any of the details upon which you first saw it? certainly um so excalibur is a film to my recollection that is about um sir arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, and basically the entire sort of Arthurian legend right. compressed into a two-and-a-half-hour kind of epic film. Um, I have seen it a few times, although they were all when I was a lot younger. Mm. Um, so a lot of my memories of what happens in it, I, it's hard to tell if it's based on the movie or just sort of Arthurian legend that I'm familiar with through other means. Like, right you know reading uh king arthur stuff or just kind of it, uh, the arthurian legend is something that's been adapted and done in a million different things but this may be the adapted version i'm probably more familiar with than most i saw it um sometime in the mid 80s or mid to late 80s or it might have been very early 90s but uh, it was definitely like a video rental of the family and uh we watched it at home and i remember my dad specifically showing it to us uh, because, yes, as you said, it's a John Borman film whose uh, other film that I'm very familiar with is Deliverance. <laughs> right. Uh, a, a fantastic movie. Yes. A Greek tragedy of its own. Yes. <laughs> I actually saw Deliverance for the first time in a Greek tragedy class in college. <laughs> we had been like, you know, we, we'd been studying the Odyssey and then, uh, you know, we had our big, you know, half our midterm and everything. And then we came in and the teacher said, well, y'all deserve a break here. Watch this modern Greek tragedy. And we watched Deliverance. <laughs> but um, I guess, uh, you know, I'll, hot off of the fame of having done Deliverance, which is a, is a great movie, I guess John Borman is, is somehow pegged to do this epic arthurian film i believe it came out 
in 80, 80 or 81 or 82. It was like right around when I was born. So oh, I okay. certainly was a baby when this came out. But I saw it uh, a bit later. But before I get into specific memories, you, you were saying, Nelson, that you, you like hardly remember this at all? I don't remember anything. I saw the film either in high school or college. I can't even remember when I saw it. But I do remember that I saw it, you know, on a shitty VHS player. Because even then, when I was a lot less discerning about, you know, seeing my cinema ripped apart and panned and scanned and all that shit, even then I looked at it as like, this looks terrible, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so... Uh, I, I, I remember it being not that memorable to me because it just looked like shit. And so I don't remember much about it. And then the only stuff that I know about it, I have learned like far later. It's like, oh, did you know Patrick Stewart was in that and Helen Mirren and all this other stuff? And it's like, well, I don't remember that from the film itself. And I probably wouldn't have because I did, you know, last uh, uh, next generation hadn't come out. So I wouldn't know who Patrick Stewart is. Helen Mirren would not right. have registered on my teenage map. Um I think so even, you remember trivia and factoids, but not actually yeah, from watching the but, movie. But not from watching. <laughs> I think even like a young Liam Neeson or something is in this. I, Correct. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I just know that like the the best of the best have been in this movie and, you know, and it's King Arthur and it's violent and sexy. So that's all I know. <laughs> okay. Well, my memories are a child's memories. I don't think I've ever seen Excalibur in adulthood. So it has been quite a while you know i easily i don't know 20 30 years probably mm. um but the strongest memories i can kind of run them down because the plot is very much if i recall it's sort of i mean the film's called excalibur which is obviously <laughs> right. the sword of legend of king arthur for anyone who doesn't know arthurian legend uh the lady in the lake hands <laughs> king arthur the excalibur and well, doesn't it like it? she just I mean, in every depiction I've ever seen of King Arthur, it's like the lady of the lake just sticks her arm out and then the sword yeah. like floats through the air and, and then he sort of gets it. <laughs> but King Arthur is kind of like he's he sort of has many different myths about him. This Arthurian legend, it's almost like there's a lot of different stories. So there's like the sword and the stone story that right. obviously Disney sort of adapted, which is like a young boy is fated to be king and. The, the king is going to pull the sword out of the stone and no one can do it. And King Arthur does it. And now he's going to be king or whatever. Right. It's a lot of like stuff like that, like little. So, so if I remember the movie is kind of just a runner of, well, here's all these Arthurian legends. We're just going to kind of do them all. Is that where um, like, let the boy try, let the boy try. Is that where that's from? Likely. So I, I remember the movie open, like the first thing in the movie is he's a squire and he pulls the sword. I think okay. the first 10 20 minutes is is that like and then he pulls the sword and then i think there's a jump in time where like now he's king uh, <laughs> it's almost like the story of jesus or something like we kind of skip over like the boring part got it and so he's, he's now king. i mean i know we're about to see this and i actually have because i was discussing with my brother some arthurian legend stuff and i actually hadn't ever really thought of it but what is it that like he pulls the sword from the stone right well that's excalibur or is it not excalibur because the uh, lady that is of the not lake. excalibur okay no 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 it's a different sword the sword in the stone is uh, understandably confusing because Excalibur is a titular sword or whatever right. of the film. Well, because it seems but, like you pull the sword from the stone to make you king, you think that's the one, right? Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe there's something where it... it I, I can't say with 100% certainty that it's not Excalibur, but I, I don't think it is. I think it's just a sword of legend. He becomes king, and later on, he receives Excalibur. Okay. Uh, a different sword, I think. Or it's the same sword and, I don't know, someone throws it in a lake or something. I, I, I don't a, really know. They, he picks it up, throws it away, and later on the lady in the lake right. picks it up and says, hey, you dropped something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, dumb. But here's the interesting thing about the movie. So I remember, you know, there, there's a bunch of other Arthurian stuff in there, like Lancelot's in there. Uh, I believe... I don't. Do you remember what happens with Lancelot? There's, he's kind of an important well, character in the story. You know, there's different you know uh, uh interpretations of lancelot and you know the one that i sort of know is the one where he's sort of well because lancelot's like the noble knight right he's like the, the avatar of nobility and he's in love with guinevere is that am i right yeah correct and he but he guinevere pines, who is king arthur's wife wife or, right or, or and he bride or whatever and you know he loves guinevere but arthur is his king and his best friend so he just pines from afar and in some versions that's all as far as it goes he just like 
trots into battle and sacrifices himself because you know that's Lancelot and then there's other ones where he's like banging Guinevere behind Arthur's back and that's why Camelot (laughs) falls and you know there's lots of different interpretations and I having not been an Arthurian scholar do not know the correct version so I've just I just have I won't I won't tip the cards of specifically what happens in the film but the the sort of King Arthur Lancelot Guinevere love triangle is definitely a plot point in the movie. Okay. That, that one I really remember. Another big plot point I remember is obviously Merlin himself is right. a pretty major character, uh, played by um, uh, Obi Wan. Oh, Alec Kenobi. Guinness. Yes. Oh, Dale, fuck me. Again. I haven't seen an Alec yeah. Guinness in another movie in probably ten yes. years. <laughs> so Sir Alec Guinness plays Merlin from oh, my memory, awesome. and uh, Helen Mirren plays Morgana. Okay. Um, so who's like the, the witch of the court, right? You know, who's, who's Who, uh, seducing Merlin and doing all this other weird stuff. Anybody famous playing Guinevere? Not to my memory, although it could be somebody. I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, the other, the other major thing I remember, it's my first exposure to Carmina Barona. Yes. The, the sort of, uh, orchestral suite. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't know the context of its original creation. I literally only know it as like <laughs> the theme to Excalibur that's played over and over and over and over again in the movie. You know where I remember? I mean, I remember seeing it in this movie, but do you remember where I really remember Carmina Barona from? Where? the doors <laughs> Oliver oh, yeah, Stone's sure. movie and it ends with Jim Morrison like chasing some groupie around and banging the shit out of her and yes. this, anyway but this uh, in in this movie in Excalibur they play Carmina Burana like eight billion times like it's <laughs> just that it's front like, part right really no the whole thing it oh, might okay. as well be wall to wall I think they play it in full at least like two or three or four times <laughs> Almost, because this was in the 80s. It kind of has that, like, Chariots of Fire thing going on where they just right. play the same thing, like, over and over. Yes. Um, but that's a great-ass orchestral suite or composition or whatever. So so it really, I think, added a lot to the movie because right. that was, it just sounded cool. Yeah. It's one of those songs, like, maybe in the Hall of the Mountain King or something that's in, like, every trailer and film you've ever seen. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but um, oh. I do remember this sort of... It definitely has, like, a Rin Fair quality to it. Like, it, it, it's... I was a kid, so it all played fine for me. But hearing you talking about sort of the cheap look of it... Right. I'm not surprised to hear that. Like, it, it definitely... Well, I can see that happen. I mean, let me let me just say the cheap look probably doesn't come from costumes or setting or production value. I'm just talking sincerely about just or I'm, I'm talking sheerly about like the look of the film from like the squish down pan and scan nature because John Borman. Oh, I see. I you see. know, if I you know remember correctly, is the type of filmmaker who'd be like, "This is a widescreen fucking feature. I got Arthur way over on the right. I got Merlin way over on the left." And so, of course, HBO would be like, "Well, we'll just keep it in the middle where there's nothing to see." <laughs> you know, shit like that, <laughs> where it's like truncated down and you know uh, just looks like and the you know colors look bad and so it looks just washed out and shitty. So, sure. yeah, I mean, but that's half of my. Uh, uh, my cinema, uh, my cinema experience when I was a kid. That's to me why, like, I think horror films were scarier to me when I was a kid. A because I was more, uh, you know, influenced by such things. But B because they looked like fucking snuff films, and like the <laughs> the VHS right. shitty nature of it did not help. So nowadays these right. slick horror movies, you're like, eh, I'm detached. Whereas like back then, it's like somebody just grabbed a VHS camera, went into the woods, and killed people. So, right. but VHS is not the proper medium for filming Excalibur. I don't think, although maybe there's a movie I, to I be made. <laughs> yeah. But even, even all that being said, I don't remember the, the costuming and stuff is fine, but I think it will feel like somewhat dated. Like, mm. I, I don't know where the line is between, you know, these people are just putting on a play in junior high versus <laughs> like full on feature. I mean, I don't think it's, I think it should be somewhat epic the really honestly in my brain the closest equivalent i have is honestly monty python and the holy grail <laughs> <laughs> like it kind of looks a lot like that movie from right. what i remember and obviously monty python came first but right. it kind of has that it's like smoke and vague castles of scotland and but i mean cheap outfits and- but the thing of that is the funny thing about that is even though 
it looks like, oh, they just slapped these costumes together from, you know, spit and chains and whatever they could find laying around. Even like back then, because it's on film, because it's in the 70s or 60s or whatever, and because they're filming in real fucking castles, there's still a little bit more production value to that than like, well, we're going to this set in, you know, America. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Although there have been like three or four at least, you know, that I can think of. Uh, King Arthur remakes and they're all like they, but they all do that like Ridley Scott thing of like well we're gonna make it gritty and down in the dirt and as real realistic quote unquote right. as possible so well I think there's this thing the reason I think Monty Python looked like this and why I assume Excalibur looked like this I guess the thought process is like let's run to Scotland and Ireland and England and go to real castles and shoot there right but the thing about it is like yeah but they're hundreds of it's not, <laughs> like years old they're all run down to shit <laughs> so, yeah it looks like modern day philadelphia or something right. so it's sort, it's sort of like i you know they would have looked nicer then that's, right so it's well, you know, kind true. of weird. you know polanski's uh macbeth has kind of a similar thing going on where it's just like mud and shit you know? it's like <laughs> well like, i mean okay but i well to some degree there's like you know when you're like i don't know i think of deadwood when i think of things like that where it's like you know, it's just dirty and filthy and grimy. And like the right. thing about, you know, that show is just like everything looks so real. And they just strove for a, a, an authenticity that made you feel like, well, this has got to be the way it was. Right. Even though they're talking in ways that nobody spoke. You're <laughs> right. just like, but this that's, is how it true. really happened. It looks real. That's you know true. what I mean? So but I think King Arthur's an interesting thing to do that with because i don't know if it's intentional or not but if you're trying to do like grime arthur you know (laughs) it's it's like king arthur's of legend and yes in back then they would probably actually be covered in shit and look like crap right like but i don't yeah it's interesting i don't know if it's intentional or not we'll we'll have to see but i I could see it going either way we'll see Um, i mean there's probably some like you say ren fair to it to some degree just because if the knights are running around like my brother says in their armor all day and night then it's like well that ain't real (laughs) you know (laughs) shit like that it's like yeah that's probably not i I remember a lot of shiny armor he is correct about that (laughs) um my my last big memory because these aren't terribly strong memories like i i remember and this is getting towards the end of the movie. Uh-huh. There's some kind of plot where there's a guy, like a golden guy. Okay. Or someone like who has armor that's all golden and a mask, a golden mask. And I, I'm pretty sure it has to do with Morgana, Helen Mirren and her uh-huh. like plans. And I think it is, there is sort of a tragedy to it. I think that I don't remember all of Arthurian legend, but he has some kind of like Moses like downfall or something. Right. And there's something, I think it's like his kid. It, I don't, oh, it gets yes, Mordred. Mordred, his yeah, son is the yeah. one that kills him or whatnot. Yeah. yeah. So I remember the end of the movie gets into that part of the story, but it was, I remember just being like weird and kind of Zardoz-like, where it's just, <laughs> it's just weird masks and weird sounds. And I remember being a kid being like, I don't understand what's going on. Right. So m- maybe I'll understand it now that I'm older, but like at the time I was just confused. Right. All right. Well, uh, again, I remember nothing to contribute, so I have nothing to add. So... Before we go and watch Excalibur, John Longino, what do you think? Does this uh, masterpiece of cinema hold up? Ooh, <laughs> this is a tough call because I do have fond memories of it. I liked it uh, when I was a kid, and I enjoyed watching it. Um, so, like, just based on that, um, and the fact that it's John Borman and Deliverance, right. I've seen many, many times, and Deliverance is a phenomenal movie. Right. So he's obviously a good director, and I have fond memories of it so holds up but i'm not <laughs> I, I don't feel strong about that i really don't know but I, I in absence of more information i'm gonna say holds up okay well uh i myself am gonna say that because i don't remember anything uh except you know shoddy looking film and uh, bad effects and i uh, can't remember any story plots or anything like that well naturally i'm gonna say it holds up because I have no reason not to because it's John Borman. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Fuck it. Uh, I like John Borman's other movies, I think. I can't remember everything he's done, but I, I remember liking Deliverance, like you say, so I'm going to give this dude the benefit of the doubt and say, holds up. Amazing. Woohoo! All right. Well, anything before we go and pull the sword from the stone? Uh, just to say on the record, I'm getting weird 
hazy vibes. I can't remember if this is an accurate memory or not, but I have some vague memory that this might have not gone so well for John Borman or like has a history of being kind of an embarrassing movie. I think you're right. Maybe? I think this is sort of the last big movie. they Because like, I, I think you're right. I think it was like Excalibur. Maybe something else came out and he was, you know, hitting yeah. on all cylinders. So they let him do Excalibur. He's like, I'm going to do Excalibur. And then he did it and nobody gave a shit. And like, they're like, well, I don't want to be then. as I don't want to be as intense as to say a flop or something. But like, I don't know if it's. I think it was kind of making fun of, but I could be yeah. wrong. Well, I think you're right. I think at the time it didn't do very well, but I also think it has sort of uh, picked up a better reputation since then. I feel like people okay. remember it and they were, and I don't remember. I mean, I don't think I don't hear too many people talking one way or the other about it, but I, you know, sure. when people talk about it, they tend to be like, Oh yeah. Excalibur. Yeah. Good movie. I mean, it's just, it's the only warning sign, but since my memory's so hazy, I just wanted to go on record as saying, I think that's accurate, but I can't, this is, this is what you get when you don't look things up and you don't know. I'm yep. like, I think people didn't like it. I'm not I, sure. Yeah, and we get so. back and it's like, it was the number two movie of 1982. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what you get. Like John Longino says from, uh, uneducated cinema nerds like ourselves. All right. It's time. To return to Camelot, we are going to go watch Excalibur. We'll be right back. The wizard's ancient spell. Into the eyes of the dragon and in despair. And the lust of a lord. I must have her. One night with her. Give birth to an empire. Behold the sword of power, Excalibur. <laughs> has taken root in the present. It is done. One Lord! One King! Orion Pictures presents John Borman's Excalibur. Knights of the Round Table, we shall always come together in a circle to hear and tell of deeds good and great. And I will marry! Don't you know me, Merlin? Because I'm a creature like you. Their magic is Merlin. Are you just a dream? To some. A nightmare to others! Their king is Arthur. You're my husband. I must be king first. Their power is Excalibur. I swear eternal faith to our king. Sir Lancelot, you will be my champion. Which is that? Greatest quality of knighthood. True. We're high evil then. <laughs> Where you never expected. I protest my innocence. Were I not king, I would make you pay with your life. A world of wizards, kings, warriors, queens, swords, sorcery, and desire. Forged of splendor and magic, where future meets past, flesh meets steel, and the only fear is the pain of love. Excalibur, sword of power, sword of kings. And we're back from Camelot. Excalibur, directed by John Borman, starring Nigel Terry as King Arthur, Helen Mirren as Morgana, and of course, Sir Alec Guinness. Sir Alec Guinness. <laughs> Wait, actually. <laughs> it was. A, an uh, old guy with a beard? Um, mm, I might have. Uh, Mr. Nelson, my childhood John <laughs> was convinced that that was. Obi-Wan Kenobi himself, Sir Alec Guinness. I thought that as I was young watching the movie, who played Merlin in Excalibur? Uh, Nicole Williamson or Nicole Williamson? I'm not Nicole sure how that's pronounced. Nicole Williamson? Nicole. Yeah. Nicole. N-I-C-H-O-L. Not, not Sir Alec Guinness. Um, not Indeed even not. close, honestly. I mean, it's other than like <laughs> British guy who... I mean, maybe in a Joseph Campbell spiritual sense, I'm correct. <laughs> it's certainly the same character as Obi-Wan Kenobi, like yes. in, in, in the great tale of the collective unconscious. But <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Not Alec Guinness, like not even close. This guy was like 30 years younger than Alec Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm ashamed to. I'm sure anyone who, well, who actually did know that was, must have been tickled by my dumbass proclaiming Alec Guinness was I mean, in this movie. It was. It, it, there were a lot of like familiar faces in that movie, so you know it. It, it made sense, and that would be a role that Alec Guinness would play. Right. Except it was called Obi Wan Kenobi, but <laughs> he would play a different crazy old wizard who um, would uh, die and whatnot. I have a couple other corrections. One is that you asked before we went into the movie, is Excalibur the sword that's in the stone? And I was like, nah, <laughs> it's some other sword, I think. I don't know. Uh, no, it was obviously in a movie called Excalibur. The fucking sword is Excalibur. Well, they I mean, um, I think they they changed a lot of things or, you know, melded a lot of things or, you know, so it is possible that like the Arthur legend does have Excalibur and the sword and the stone and they're two different things. But in the movie, the first one of the first things you see is Excalibur being, you know, thrown by the Lady of the Lake. And then the next thing you see is uh, Arthur's father, Uther stabbing the sword into the stone uh one so one gabriel byrne gabriel was, byrne a young gabriel byrne with a, yes. a bigger nose than i remember so i don't a know if very that's makeup young or... and very rapey gabriel byrne <laughs> <laughs> that was, was a uh, little uncomfortable i gotta say i you know what's funny is like as we were watching it it had the feeling of game of thrones where it's just like everybody's right. icky all, everything's <laughs> terrible and the thing I and I really liked that I was like, geez, this movie was like way ahead of its time, because it just I mean it was like so rapey and so mean and so you know violent and you know just all that stuff and it sort of toned down a little bit when you know the 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 kid pulls the sword from the stone but like I kind of sure. like that opening that it just like it slapped down the gauntlet and said, hey man, we're right. not fucking around here. This is King well, Arthur. Take it or leave it. I actually think if you kind of take Arthurian legend and Gamer Throws, there is more of a connection there than maybe even I actually realize. Like, you know, right. we got, you ticks all the boxes. You got incest. You got <laughs> heart rape and murder and, and, and idolatry and, and all, you yeah. know, just all kinds of crazy shit. And and I think certainly George R. R. Martin is pulling from a, a similar playbook. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I, the only thing you don't have is like the the boots on the ground civilian characters who are suffering through all this. I mean, you see a little right. bit of that, but yeah, Game of Thrones is uh, it, their big thing is like, well, you're going to see it from the king's point of view and from the slop boy's point of view. Right. So, but it does have a bit of what we were talking about, where Arthurian legend is this high art like noble thing and it is definitely portrayed in the dirt like it's it's like a dirty <laughs> right. scummy movie of the 70s or i guess i guess it came out very very early 80s i think, yeah, it, I think it was 81 like i think they filmed 81. it in 80 and it came out 81 yeah yeah so maybe there was even some 79 in there i don't know but like <laughs> but it definitely just looks like dirty yeah. So, I, well, that's why I, you know, looking at it now, and it looked beautiful up on a, you know, big, you know, uh, you know, 1080p TV. Oh, but certainly. Yeah, I can see me watching it on a VHS and, you know, it looking cruddy and probably blurry and ugly and just like, yeah, it probably looked wrong. And I can see why a younger me would be like, this looks like nothing's on purpose to be fair and this is a, a bit of our, our various bunker situation <laughs> you were probably watching on blu-ray right i actually pulled off my dvd copy which you know is fine it's obviously better than vhs but i was definitely in the grimier territory <laughs> well it with, is uh, i mean 480p yeah it's a grimy movie but i do think i mean i can see because there were different times that i would sort of like put my hand up to the tv and i bet be like i bet this looks really shitty but like you take your hand away and like oh my god there's a startling clear vista in the background but up front is just like dirt and decay and the you know it's kind of out of focus and that's by design because the thing they're focusing on is out of frame in vhs or whatever so i can see and also i can definitely see why younger me would be like well i don't quite get this movie because like merlin becomes like campy and sort of slapsticky and then the movie <laughs> He's itself doing pratfalls like half the yeah. movie and then the movie you know after the third or fourth hour takes like this weird psychedelic 2001 turn and then mm. after that it just keeps going for a while i mean the movie could definitely use some editing at two hours oh, and 20 yeah. minutes oh uh, my god you know why your brother became a man watching this movie because he literally <laughs> became a man like it, time that's passed. how long the fucking movie was yeah it was uh, he, quite a it, it, several years is, 
I was. I mean, I know Longino was a little bit, you know, more sleepy during this than I was. Uh, but I, you know, it's not that I wasn't entertained. But there was a lot of points where, like, especially the last, like, we'll skip right to the end, where like <laughs> Arthur's been stabbed by his son Mar- Mordred, and you know, uh, he he takes Excalibur and he gives it to Percival. He says, "Take this, throw it in a still pool." And Percival's like, no, not Excalibur. We must not. And he's like, do it, I command you. And so <laughs> Percival rides off to find a still pool. He takes his time finding it. Finally finds one, is cocking back to throw it in. And he's like, yeah, I can't do this. Goes I back to Arthur. Can't do it. <laughs> Goes back to Arthur. Oh and says, God. I couldn't do it, dude. And Arthur's like, come on. Just go back and do it, you asshole. <laughs> so then we get another scene of dude going he to the Stillwater back pool. up again. <laughs> and it's just like, how did this make the final cut? How is it like yeah. probably scenes that probably could have told more of a story got cut? And, and really, at that point, <laughs> it's in a movie that I'm like begging to be over. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm like, this movie has way overstated its welcome. I I'm so ready for this movie to end. And he's doing this like, I couldn't do it, boss. Like, it's like he's trying to throw it away twice. It was so stupid. I was just like, a, a, a fucking grade school editor would know, like, we can lose all of this and he could just throw it away and be done with it. Like, I mean, I was laughing at this. We, we made the joke that, like, now he's got to do it a third time just so we can, you know, really. <laughs> but I feel like I would have more respect for them if they had done it a third time. If they're like, no, we're testing you. This is a troll well, job point, right it's now. It's just a joke, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the movie's not above making jokes, as Merlin sort of shows. I feel like. I don't know if that part was like, maybe that's why they took out the third because they're like, ah, people are going to laugh or whatever. But I just feel like there's a sense of humor to this movie that I, you know, and it's kind of subversive, which I kind of enjoyed. So, well, it is tonally, it is a bizarre film, like utterly bizarre. It's, it's somewhere between, uh, you know, like a Star Wars or something and a David Lynch, you know, <laughs> trip down the dancing man you know, dream or something <laughs> right. like it, it's really weird. Like, it's a movie, it's a sh- insanely long movie that covers so much stuff, but everything is treated in this weird, like, surreal kind of way. It's right. it's like, it's everything is metaphor and kind of knows it is. So, And people are literally, it's weird. Like, the scenes <laughs> won't be like, hey, uh, this guy is a bad guy and I want to go kill him. And, you know, like, hey, guys, you are you with me? It, they're not talking like that. It's like... I am <laughs> mankind, and my sins must be atoned for. <laughs> you, my men, you are my foot, and you're my arm, and you're my leg, or whatever. You know, like, it's just, he's talking, and in, in, everyone's talking, like, riddle and metaphor <laughs> the entire movie, which is both subtle and, like, incredibly not subtle. Yeah. But I mean, it's bizarre. Yeah. And there's these weird touches that like keep happening along. Like at one point, again, skipping way ahead, uh, you know, Guinevere and uh, Lancelot have their little tete-a-tete in the forest. And then, you know, Arthur comes in and slams Excalibur down between them. And then they scream when they awake and see Excalibur and run away. And we don't hear from her again for, you know, half an hour. And then you see Lancelot basically became Charles Manson. (laughs) He's like leading this little (laughs) cult. And it's like, and it's, you know, they, they don't, you know, they're not murderous maybe, but they're really not all that genteel either. And they're, you know roaming the land with dead bodies you know dead children who you presume are theirs but who knows <laughs> and him just saying the land has died the king has betrayed us it's like oh shit <laughs> so shit like that i really liked you know again those grimy yeah absolutely grimy he, him 70s. ranting like a heretic was kind of amazing yeah and i mean that feels to me like obviously inspired by like the 70s and like oh yeah murder cults and whatnot i was also a big fan of king arthur leaving excalibur between his wife and his best friend fucking each other there was just, that was just such a boss move it was like he didn't kill them or even really yell at them he just finds them naked in the woods and then just leaves his sword in the middle and, and they wake up the, the next morning and see Excalibur <laughs> and they're like oh shit leaves the most important sword in history yeah. between them and Lancelot goes nuts because he knows exactly you know Guinevere's got her own thing going on but like Lancelot's like oh my god if the king doesn't have the sword then we don't have a king and oh my god the land is oh, oh, right. yeah he's just going nuts and but he that's just, what I mean by, by sort of metaphor overboard like they do this <laughs> thing where he leaves the sword and he's mad that they had an affair and it's like like thus the land is in a dust bowl and, and everyone's starving and like 
he's i don't know it's just so weird it was like it was like arthur represents the people in the land it, like it's a studio ghibli movie where like <laughs> if arthur's in a good mood trees are blossoming and growing if he's in a bad mood it's decay and, and like, i don't know it, it was just <laughs> weird like it was just everything was like that it was everything was just we- weirdly literal but not yeah well just i mean metaphor yeah they were definitely like playing up the you know the mythology of the whole thing right um i mean and to the point where it's like i mean for a movie that used like no cgi it's like there were like all these weird like special effects all over like at one point during the end when arthur's dying the sun has turned like blood red and you can tell by the reflections on the armor you can see like the little red lights in the reflection you're like oh they're showing like a light from off screen or something like that and it looks really awesome but it's like man the shit they'd have to go through to get these like what are now completely easy effects but like back then to make it just look like oh the land is drenched in blood and shit like i mean it's they did not fuck around and like speaking of which i mean again this movie gets that 80s 70s bump for practical effects because there were some times like longino at one point even said uh because there was a guy riding a horse but he'd obviously been slain and so the stuntman yeah. was just like barely hanging on the like, horse it was just a guy strapped to a horse laying on his back but he was like barely was hanging crazy. on it's like he was yeah. almost falling off and it's like jesus christ he might fall like someone you know. someone didn't tie that tight enough and he just falls over and now he's getting run over by hooves and stuff and i was like <laughs> that, i was like that looks super dangerous and at the yeah. same time you know there's this great stunt work there's this great you know they've built all these trebuchets and shit like that for the you know for the siege scenes and then and it's funny because my brother had made the comment at the beginning it's like they wear their armor all the fucking time and they do which is hilarious and i can see why though because again they're doing this like over mythologized version so it's like the knights are never out of their armor and uh even like when percival falls into the river he has to like take off his armor and it's a big deal so he doesn't drown but it's like he's he's skinning himself of camelot or whatever very metaphorical but i love the way that like when they would get in these fights you know, we're used to like Game of Thrones and even Game of Thrones is kind of semi-realistic in their sword fighting, but they make people look like badasses. These people are just like barely can lift their arms to swing a sword. <laughs> even yeah. even Lancelot. Exhausting. Yeah, even Lancelot, who is like the best fighter in the whole thing, looks like he's moving in slow motion. Cause it's like, hold on, hold on. I got to lift it up. Ugh. Yeah, so I like that a lot. I mean, it just made it look really grungy, and yeah. you know, you saw the whole. Yeah, to to be fair, I don't think any of my complaints are in the sort of visual arena. Like, I I think the set design, and while it was grimy and dirty, like it, that was all pretty great. It, I I think what I'm realizing is with these kind of stories even mythological stories maybe it's just the star wars fan in me <laughs> what i'm missing in excalibur is this sort of every man avatar of me right that i can then enjoy the movie through like arthur isn't human like me like arthur <laughs> isn't normal he's this like destined god right that the, whose mood controls the state of the world <laughs> and and he's not very relatable to me and merlin's talking in riddle honestly the person i related to the most and had the most sympathy for was morgana the villain right well and because i think that's she by had design. a story that i related to yeah yeah i think that's by design i think that they set up early on that like well arthur's family is responsible for her yeah. you know watching her mom get you know Ga- gabriel and- Byrne, arthur's dad is the shittiest human being that ever lived <laughs> so right out the gate he's the scummiest most horrible guy like he, he's giving stannis a run for his money for just being like scum of the earth yeah he's just like, he's just beaten his opponent in war and they and you know they've made a whole like pact and it's like okay we're gonna seal the deal with a thanksgiving dinner and they you know have a big party and then i don't know if like the the duke that he beat i don't know if it's like his wife or his concubine or what who's doing all the dancing like they're at a fucking strip club yeah. <laughs> but she's being real like sexualized and fucking gabriel bird literally cannot stay in his seat because he's just overcome with lust he's like so horny he's like, <laughs> he's I, like I, I have her i have I to have her, her. and everybody he's like please don't we just yeah. we just finished fighting this and war please don't and he's like no merlin's <laughs> compromised right out the gate because he just turns to merlin and is like let me fuck her yeah like, one time just, just one ca- time cast a spell so that i can have her and merlin's like all right 
Like, <laughs> he's just good. like, well, give me your firstborn and I'll do it. So to me, it's like Merlin's a scumbag. The dad's a scumbag. Like Arthur has scumbag genes. Like, I, you know, to me. And then his sister is the one witnessing her mother be defeated. And all, she has every right. motivation in the world to hate these men. And I was like, yeah, I hate right. him too. I'm with you, Morgana. Like, right. Let's do this. When she's getting her revenge on Merlin, I was rooting for her right like yes get them fuck those guys uh you know now once she got a little like macbeth witchy like, it got, <laughs> like she got right. a little more like devil worshipy than i would maybe be comfortable with <laughs> and her child was like an annoying little shit yeah and there you go that's the joffrey of the whole thing <laughs> uh, absolutely absolutely and then like obviously her seducing her own brother into giving her a child is a little questionable but like <laughs> She was the closest thing to human I had in the thing. Like, well, ironic, she made sense to me. Because she's not human by the end of the movie. I mean, they make a big deal right. out of, like, you know, sorcerers in this world are not human anymore. So, yeah. But I she had, was... like, a, a motivation for why yeah. she was doing what she was doing that made sense to me. Well, Whereas, like, Merlin is, like, just a dick for no reason. Like, I don't <laughs> understand what is going on with him. I kind of like that he's, I mean, he's always sort of the, like, the Loki of of these, you know, stories. He's, like, he's got his own things going on. He never tells you why he does what he does. You know, in other stories, they make it clear. They only hinted at it in this one. But, you know, usually uh, Merlin's motivation is that he knows the future. The whole thing about him is that he lives in reverse. You know, he, he okay. his past is Camelot future so he's already seen the fall of camelot so he's like, wait but so he doesn't see his like ice imprisonment con coming from I, morgana I, I, dude i don't write this shit i just you know <laughs> pick it up off wikipedia and repeat it okay. for you no okay. <laughs> um so i guess that's one of those like long standing mythological traditions it's like oh it just sounds real good he lived in reverse Sure. Anyway, <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, obviously, it's all you know fictional, so it's like yeah, it's I, we don't bullshit. have to get too crazy about it. But it's yeah, my my, I I don't really care about the hows and whys of his reverse thing. It was more <laughs> like I don't know. I just didn't. I, I here's another thing. I obviously Merlin is a sort of archetypal character, but I'm used to like a Gandalf or an Obi Wan Kenobi who's like helpful and nice <laughs> and just wants to smoke pipe weed with you and like. <laughs> talk about how great the world is and here's merlin coming out being like i am from the old ways of cthulhu or whatever you know like it's just like well, he's think, like basically a bad guy like, well yes but i think it's when i i think you know even though you never really ultimately find out his motivation and it's always kind of suspect you never know exactly where he stands but i do think there is the generalized motivation that he has seen how Camelot rises and falls. And he's like, well, I'm just a slave to how this works. So I have to set these wheels in motion. I'm basically the, the fulcrum by which this all sort of, you know, is supposed to happen. This is already predestined. I'm right. just an instrument here to do. Yeah. The, I, I'm just the messenger, out. man. I'm sorry sure. that God determined yeah. that, you know, you're going to die by your son's hand or whatever, but you know, this is how we roll. Yeah, so I I don't know I well I I liked their Merlin it, you know, the the uh, the slapsticky stuff was kind of weird but I I liked I liked that Merlin was unreliable I like that and I mean I think he generally is in these stories sure. but I, I like well, that the actor he's... was perfectly fine too I thought the performance was well good. Alec Guinness is a real you know expert <laughs> <laughs> playing a these really kind a, of a master of his craft obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! And while we're talking about, like, shout out to Liam Neeson, by the way, and Patrick Stewart. Oh, yes. Was that guy ever young? Jesus Christ! He was forty when this movie was I shot. Know. And I'm like, how old is he now? I mean, he's I guess he's eighty. He's not, not young. <laughs> I mean, I guess well, if you uh, use Patrick bath. Stewart uh, is experiencing life in reverse, so that's why. Right, he lives in reverse. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I made the joke when he showed up on screen. I was like, you know, that did he think to himself at a trim 40 that he'd, you know, one day be reading sonnets every day over the internet to people in quarantine? Did he Did he think his life would turn out like that? Oh, also, I, he'd doubt, be the, he, I doubt he saw that one coming. Also, you'd be the biggest sci-fi uh, nerd avatar in history. By the way, uh, t totally unrelated and speaking of scummy, I have to say, you know, I'm a big Helen Mirren fan and... <laughs> Wow. Like, you know, that's, that's all I'll say about that. Like, wow. You're pretty. Great. I, a plus for Helen Mirren. <laughs> I forget. She was great. She was fucking great. I think she was like my favorite thing in the whole movie. 
You know, it's funny. It's like I've seen her, you know, basically I've, I've been watching Helen Mirren in reverse. I've been watching her older roles. And, <laughs> right. you know, in the last few years, I've started diving into her, you know, like when she was a young lady stuff. And you see her and you're like, Jesus Christ, how did I not know about her sooner in life? How did it take me until she was an older lady, you know, playing older lady parts to say she's amazing. You know, everything she's in, she just brings that like, you know, thunder oh, punch yeah. to. And it's like, oh, yeah, no wonder she was, you know, big shit. So. Anyway, I just well, even like, her like there, there's that shot of her uh, pregnant and then like ripping the baby out, like basically <laughs> doing her own delivery. Yes. And then she like picks the baby up and is going like, <laughs> and I thought it was like this awesome shot that she just nailed this like evil birth. Like, yeah, that's, exactly. It's kind of hard to pull off. Like she, she actually did it. Oh, I know. Well, yeah, she had to do, I'm sure a lot of, you know, there was a lot of contortion and shit in this oh, movie. Yeah. A lot of. A lot of shit. Oh, but speaking of um, uh, the the cast and King Arthur, uh, the lead, King Arthur, uh, played by Nigel Terry, um, he grew on me through the course of the movie. But the interesting thing is you're talking about like we don't have an everyman. I actually even had a bigger re response to that because he came on screen as like the squire to, you know, his brother, the knight or whatever. That's the first you, you meet him uh, yes. after he's kidnapped by Merlin and thrown into the woods or whatever. Um and then I, I saw the actor and I was like, oh, shit, that's the guy from uh, The Lion in Winter. I think it's The Lion, or it's the, yeah, I think it's The Lion in Winter, It's which is a story of, like, you know, England and, you know, the, you know, during the Crusades and whatnot. And, and he played Prince John, who, you know, becomes the, you know, basically the villain of Robin Hood. And he right. plays him like a basically like Joffrey in Game of Thrones. He's a whimpering, sad sack, everything, he, you know, everything everybody does is just aimed at, you know, humiliating him in his eyes. So he just cries and whines at everything. So the first thing I see is like, this is the guy that's going to rule the kingdom, this whiny little bitch. And then, you know, like <laughs> I say, and then he, you know, even through like him picking up Excalibur, he's still kind of got this weird, like, you know, lemon look on his face. And then, as they start aging him and he starts, you know, kind of coming into himself, I'm like, oh, I see what he's doing there. He's actually playing sort of that younger, uh, not confident role and, and you know, right. easing it. So he grew on me. But at the beginning, I was like, oh, my God, if this is our Arthur through the whole thing, I'm going to, you know, fucking stab myself because <laughs> well, like yeah, I, I, I feel like he got the job done. OK, I agree. Like he did age into it all right and as yeah. as he sort of grew his beard out and became <laughs> i mean the the old man makeup was pretty bad but well, you yeah. know i mean but he, he was he was doing fine he was perfectly fine i mean as far as the cast goes it's like he's he's the anchor of perfect normalcy that's holding it in place he's the handsome good-looking young actor who speaks all the lines correctly and like oh yeah he's got his gravitas so let's uh you know let's move on but, uh, nothing wrong with him it's just that like you know compared to some of the actors around him it's like and a lot of the actors around him are much more showy than he is so he has to be right. again real like even real like you know you know put him up on a pedestal but um yeah i was just I, I, it was interesting to me that he was even less than an everyman when we first met or at least you know in my eyes and i kind of feel like you know the percival took that spot for a little while because like First, there's Uther. We're kind of seeing it from Uther's point of view, and it's like, oh, he's a scumbag. Then we see it from Arthur's point of view, and it's like, oh, he's kind of a pussy, or oh, shit, he's the king. Oh, fuck. And then <laughs> Camelot, you know, leaps into being, and he's the king, and everything's great. And so they, then they cut to Percival, who's kind of another, you know, he's kind of your everyman, which is like, I just want to be a knight. And then they follow Percival for a long-ass time, and then at the very end, I, you know, you sort of... I don't know, who's the, you know, who's the hero at the end? Is I guess it's back to being Arthur. Kinda, yeah. I actually was struck with how, and I sort of knew this, but I, I'm no Arthurian legend expert, um, and, nor am I uh, a sort of Christianity expert, but <laughs> having watched the movie, I was actually surprised how much of his story seems to kind of mirror like judeo-christian mythology mm, i'm sure that's not... pretty you know like i mean not like a one for one but there is this kind of through line in the movie about like good and evil and sin and redemption and right. like a lot of you could almost look at lancelot and guinevere as sort of like adam and eve in the garden original sin type thing right where like true. you know camelot is paradise it's like right. eden and a sin is committed that you know you're you're basically lose the garden of eden and then uh everyone is 
on earth has suddenly gone from paradise to this like living nightmare right and and there's certainly in the sort of son of morgana a lot of weird like antichrist kind of <laughs> thing going on of like the, the anti-child of god or, or right. jesus or whatever i don't know it's certainly arthur strikes me as, as a sort of christ-like figure yes you know dying sort of. to to save the the world kind of thing i mean it's Although not he, like a one-to-one right but. he he does you know whereas his uh, arthur's problem seems to be pride i mean he sort of falls into this like right although i mean on the other hand it's like he gives this whole complaint that's like well i was never allowed to be a man i always had to be a king and so that's kind of and then so then when he discovers lancelot and, and guinevere together he just sort of shuts down it's like oh well uh, I guess that's nice if you have the ability to just sit in your chair for 30 years or whatever. And then he <laughs> right. sends his knights off on a 10-year errand to like, fuck, now I need the grail. Go get me the grail. And you're like, wait, yeah, what? Yeah, that was kind of <laughs> fucked That was fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, like why don't you go waste your life for a decade because I'm tired and in a chair. That was weird. <laughs> but it's there like, was a bit of, um, I think particularly a line from Guinevere where he, he comes to sort of forgive her. And right. she says she's basically explaining why she had an affair or why she couldn't just be subservient to him. And she says some line like, you can only look at the sun for so long. <laughs> and that to me struck as like literally Arthur is radiant light, you know, right. like like a, a child of God on earth kind of thing where it's like he's more than her husband. He is the king of men and the chosen right. one or, you know, whatever. And right. And, I think it's there. Like, it's just, you know, I mean, that's a very common analogy. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of, like you say, the, the, it's not a one for one. There's And there's a lot of, like, mixing of it. Like, uh, at one point, Lancelot <laughs> either has a dream about being stabbed by himself or stabs himself for real or something. But he's got this wound in his side that yeah, never so heals. He's got, like, a stigmata, basically. Yeah, and it's basically on. the, you know, the, the spear in Christ's side or whatever. And it's like, right. well, that was, you know, and all you need is holes in your hands now. And that's <laughs> one for one. Plus, he looks like a golden god. He's, like, you know, blonde <laughs> and beautiful right. and kind of uh, dopey. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit uh so what else anything any other uh uh notes need addressing um, hey it would have been a great miniseries like <laughs> <laughs> you know the tales of arthur i would have gone for that i actually honestly like i think now in the age of television it's just like well this should be a tv show like not yeah. a, not a two and a half hour movie yeah because well, for the amount of shit they cover it's way too short for the amount of time they cover but like it's way too long for a movie i mean on the one hand it's kind of cool the way they move through time because there's a lot of there's like generations that live and die in yeah. this movie and it's like some decades are only represented by like one scene and it's like well that scene's better say a lot so i think they did a, f a fairly good job of that um my, actually my favorite time passage sort of montage was when Mordred was growing up and like he's first he's this little kid in golden armor and then his mom is talking to him saying you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that blah 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 and every time she like puts his helmet on and then takes it off he's older he's like you know 10 years older or whatever yeah. so that by the time he finally uh, you know gets to manhood 30 seconds have passed for us but you know <laughs> 18 years have passed in the movie or whatever i thought that was pretty clever yeah and i like the bit um where percival kind of comes in on them movie c percival movie uh, <laughs> was fucking weird but i was interested in it like him just seeing visions of dead tr people in trees and grails and all this stuff I was like, I don't know what this has to do with King Arthur, but I think that was just purely like John Borman's like, I want to do my Kubrick now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, another funny thing, and you pointed this out, Nelson, while we were watching, is I made some comment before we watched the movie that I was like, yeah, the third, like the last bit gets real Zardoz. <laughs> yes. And you, yes. you while we were watching, was like, oh, John Borman, I just looked up directed Zardoz, and yes. I was like, well, th well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and yes, it also... does get very Zardoz. <laughs> we had actually uh, wondered before. It's like, well, how big a hit was this Excalibur? And I guess. Uh, you know, from what I could gather, it's like he had done Deliverance. That was a big hit. So then he did Exorcist to the Heretic to oh, make yeah. money to make Excalibur. This, you know, like Exorcist 2 was like the guaranteed bank and it bombed so badly that he was like, oh, shit, I got, you know, Excalibur better, uh, better get me, uh, 
give me some fans back. And I guess it did. I guess it did. You know, it was like a modest hit. It was, it, it, okay. it opened at number one and, you know, and in modern day, that would be everything. In those days, I don't so think it's So was it, Zardoz it after Excalibur? Zardoz was between, according to IMDb, uh, uh, Deliverance and Exorcist 2. So. Okay. So, so this is the timeline. He does Deliverance to acclaim. He does Zardoz <laughs> to ridicule. <laughs> He Did makes he? a safe <laughs> bet. I mean, Zardoz is, is terrible. Like, I love the movie, but it's it's trash. Then uh, he makes Exorcist 2 as, like, the safe, like, rebound right. off this of is... the weird bad movie. Yeah, thank God and I then, landed this one. This is guaranteed money in the bank. <laughs> then Exorcist 2 bombs, and it's like, fuck! And then he and then he Hail Marys on, on Excalibur, which yeah, I guess... By by your account, did okay. So yes, I guess it did fine. And then uh, after that, he did you know movies where people might know them. He did like the Emerald Forest. He did Hope and Glory. You know stuff that people have heard of, but nothing that people have gone, oh shit, that's the so one. No no <laughs> showstoppers. Yeah, I mean, and he also I, I had forgotten to mention he did Point Blank. That was one of his early hits. So which is and one of my sure. favorites. So. Yeah, so he's uh, he's definitely I got what some. What was in the water in, with Deliverance? Because that movie's fucking fantastic. Like, is it just because it's based off a book and the book's super good, or like I, I don't mean, know what happened? I don't. I, as someone who has read the book and like really, I saw the movie first and then I read the book, and I feel like the movie got the book better than the book did in a lot of ways. Because the book is a lot. You know, the the movie is like you know, manly men doing manly things, but it also s sort of sticks a knife in that, you know, right. thing. Whereas the book is like, nah, a man's got to do what a man's got to do, bitch. It just <laughs> sounds like <laughs> John Borman should have movies with like four or less people in them. Because <laughs> there's something, well, I think the simplicity of like four guys in a boat, like there's not much you can do. That's true. Whereas, or one, one Lee Marvin, you know, just killing everybody inside. Right. I guess that's... But you give him the entire history of Arthurian legend and it's like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's as good a, a segue as, as any. John, did you think that Excalibur held up? Uh, I, I have to be honest and say no. Um, I think I liked it more when I was younger. I had better memories of it than I experienced. That's not to say that it's terrible. I think there is certainly things to find there. And I'd probably have more tolerance for it in pieces. I could see mm. doing like a three-part viewing almost like you know, uh, 45 minutes of sit down where right. I would probably be a little more into it. Honestly, <laughs> at two and a half hours at the pace of this movie, it, it just started irritating me <laughs> with how fucking insanely long it was. Like it was uh, like, come on. I mean, to my credit, <laughs> I didn't fall asleep. So that's, that's true. That's good. Yeah. But it w it was getting past you know long in the tooth into just downright like are we are you kidding and I, I don't know if that's a maybe that's a time and a place thing like it's just nowadays i just do not have the patience for this kind of movie right um but that's the thing i mean we watched not very long ago we watched dance with the wolves which is even longer than this movie yes and we both really enjoyed that movie and like but that yeah, it was, was long. during the day when we were just unemployed and not quarantined <laughs> <laughs> sure but I, wide I, would, awake. I, I would argue i found dances with wolves very engaging and, and interesting and this was just like after a while i was like i fucking get it he's a king and it's a sword <laughs> can we fucking move on like next slide oh my god oh, i get man. it oh wait oh here's helen mirren okay all right, now i'm paying attention <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, like it just started, it just, sorry, I, now I'm no. being belabored in my sort of complaints, but like it, it just went on way too long. That's funny. Uh, yeah, I would have thought at the beginning, I mean, we were howling and hooting in the first, you know, 20 minutes or so, <laughs> just about how, you know, getting grimy and assholey everything was. But, uh, you know, again, it grew on me. Um, like you say, this movie's got its flaws. It's definitely got some problems, and that pacing is uh, glacial near the end there. But uh, I'm actually surprised that it squeaks by for me. I think I'm going to say it holds up because uh, okay. I, I, I'm going to remember this viewing. <laughs> I, I didn't remember the other one that I had way back in, you know, however long it was. And this one I've like... Yeah, I had a great time. I liked hey, it. You want a weird fucking movie that's just as weird as this movie, but it's a smooth 90 minutes? Let me tell you about a little something called Beastmaster. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, you can do this shit in half the time and twice as exciting. Oh, <laughs> <Like, laughs> uh, yeah, but 
Mark Singer? Come on, man. Dude, He's, I, he, I'll, I'll Beastmaster all day, every day over this fucking belabored, <laughs> long ass. Like, oh, my God. Well, <laughs> put it in the can. It's a split vote. We, we have gotten no further than when we started. But that's okay. It's quarantine. Forget it, John. It's quarantine. <laughs> Speaking of which, do we have something on the docket for next time, or are we just going to leave them up in the air like every other thing in our lives these days? That is an excellent question. Well, I, you know, I was actually really intrigued by Tyler's request to do a silent film. Oh, shit. Uh, now, I don't know what silent film. Maybe we'll, we'll sit and think about that, but I actually think that would be really interesting, and I, I'm okay. willing to give it a shot. All right. So Tyler emailed us last month uh, requesting we do a silent film just to kind of mix it up during quarantine. So why not? (laughs) So why not? All right. Well, why not? I'd I'd love to do it. So come back next month, folks. Uh, Until then, if you have anything to say about Excalibur or anything we've ever said ever in life, you can write us at holduppodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to holduppodcast.com and you can see the links to all of our social medias and if you would be so kind, I've, you know, I feel like I've heard this a billion times on podcasts lately. Please, if you would not mind going to iTunes and reviewing us or rating us or giving us a star. Blah, 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 blah. Now that I've and said here, it all. I, I, I know what you're thinking, listening. You're like, you don't want to do that. And I get it. But let's be honest. What else are you doing right now? Like, I mean, seriously. Just, yeah, I know you don't want to give Apple your email. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> but please. <laughs> Everybody else Just is saying it. it. It must. It's the cool thing to say, so I'm going to say it too. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us once again, and until next time. Nobody move. Nobody gets hurt. 